I think any filmmaker, what you're going for is repeat viewings. And yeah. there's two ways you can do it, right? You can put eye candy up there or you can you can put layers in your film where, you know, it's like you can watch Robocop and really appreciate him, you know, shooting everybody up. And then when you hear Virovan talk about it being a retelling of the Christ story, when you see Robocop <laughs> walking on water, <laughs> it's like, okay, I see it now. And it's like you, you get to appreciate it on a whole new level. And that's kind of what we were going for. That's Jeff Barnaby, the writer and director of the new zombie film, Blood Quantum, which takes place on indigenous land in Quebec, Canada. You can watch it as a fun, delightfully gory zombie movie, or as a metaphorical retelling of colonizers coming to North America and spreading deadly disease. Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. Jeff is our guest today. I'm Tim Malloy, and I'm recording this episode in a scary basement. Jeff and I talk a lot today about history repeating itself. You know, sometimes it takes a horror movie to make us see the plain truth. For all its homages to George Romero and others, Blood Quantum is unlike any movie you've ever seen. Our conversation starts with Jeff explaining the basic plot. A family living on the Mi'kmaq Reserve of Red Crow in Quebec find themselves suddenly battling a zombie invasion. The father is the sheriff of the town and his dad is retired and they're all basically going through the zombie apocalypse together. Yeah. And it becomes an issue because the youngest uh, Forrest, Forrest Goodluck's character he ends up getting his girlfriend pregnant, his teenage girlfriend. They're both 17 in the film, and they're in the hospital. That's when the zombie outbreak happens. Well, it's a really good family story in that his brother becomes, and I don't want to give too much away, but becomes an antagonist. Um, his brother Lysol, who he loves, but who has always been kind of kind of troublesome for him, um, and then well, that's it. I mean, it's it's the, the the morality of the movie is such that you don't really. I mean, you could you could qualify Lysol as the bad guy, but again, it depends on who you're talking to, and depends on how it all plays out. Yeah. Because I think one of the most subversive ideas in the film is this i is, is this idea that Lysol's xenophobia is justified. Yeah. And in, the, in the context of the the film being scared of the refugees is actually a legitimate reason. You have a legitimate reason to be scared of them. And I think that's, that's kind of where you start drifting into uh, like moral ambiguity and you, you start really getting into the meat of the issue. Because I think the things that the film is talking about, they're not really black and white. Yeah. I, I don't think they're, they're especially on a, on a longer timeline and you could, localized the film with just dealing the dealing with the colonization of uh, the Americas but I think when you start looking at it in a in in the trajectory of colonization turning into capitalism I think you start seeing a, a much more broader picture being being painted that expands just beyond you know the politics between natives and non-natives I mean that was the idea anyway I mean, I think there's a really interesting read, and you know, please tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but there's a read of it where the indigenous people have you know, a good society that's functioning very well. Um, the Europeans come in, in this case, the, the white North Americans want to come in and take their land, or at least occupy their land, um, and take advantage of some of the knowledge that they have. 
and they bring diseases with them. Um, and you don't, you don't portray the, you know, the white people as evil, but they do carry this disease with them and they do do a lot of damage without necessarily even intending to. Um, yeah, I, I think they're portrayed more as scared. I, I don't yeah. think at any one point are they ever like outwardly malicious. I think everybody in that film is just scared. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that, that dictates racism. And xenophobia is is fear, mostly fear, because fear once you internalize it turns into anger, turns to hate, and, and and it's just this big cycle. So I think, and again, one of the more subversive things that the film does is you 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 see that you see the racism and the xenophobia, but you're seeing it come from a native character, and again, it's all kind of justified. So you're really you're really beginning to ask the question, legitimately ask the question. Is Lysol really the bad guy? I mean, he's definitely the asshole of the film, but I, I think, I think, well, I don't even think I know if they had listened to him, none <laughs> of that would have happened. Yeah. And I think there's a, we talk about the inevitability of a zombie film, right? It all, they all need to end the same way. Yeah. But I think what we were trying to do was, was have that ending kind of have that bleak ending, but, but eat our cake too. I, I don't think it's, it's as bleak as yeah. <laughs> the, the ending would, would assume. Because like I said, all zombie movies need to end the same way, but I think it's, it's kind of the, what, you, what you're trying, trying to say. And in this case, as weird as it may seem, is that in order for us to move forward, we all need to move forward together. Mm-hmm. And that was the idea behind the film behind the birth, behind the, the community getting behind protecting the Charlie character. Yeah. Protecting the family. I thought it was really interesting that the indigenous people, is that the best term to use, by the way? I mean, because I'm, you know, I'm American and we kind of have some politics around whether to say Native American or American Indian. And I understand in Canada, it would be First Nations. What would be, what's the best I mean, term that's, to use? Well, for me, it was never really a hill I died on. I don't, I don't really care but i know like indian to me starting to sound weird yeah <laughs> and yeah i think uh, i think indigenous when you're talking about native people in general is a pretty good term yeah indigenous native really or if you're if you're wanting to get really specific i think you could just use uh, the nation of the person you're talking to in mm-hmm. which case we're using micmac but again i mean that's that's you know that's you're talking about the specificity of the language and region. Yeah. Whereas here, I think the interesting thing is blood quantum is an American term. It's not really a Canadian one. Blood quantum laws are, are more on the books in the US. I mean, we have a version of it here, but it's not specifically called blood quantum, whereas in the US, that's exactly what it's called. So even though the tribes are, are Canadian, actually, that's not even true. Micmacs drift into Maine too in New York. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so there's you know there's Big Mac tribes in the eastern regions too. So I guess it applies. Yeah, I, I only know that from a little Googling today. I mean I don't want to pretend I'm an expert in any way. Um but yeah I was I most thought people it was... know from uh, most people know from Pet Cemetery. So is that right? Oh that's cool. Yeah well the, the tribes in the tribe in uh, Pet Cemetery, the original anyway in in the book are Micmac and Micmac are in Maine. So again, you're, you're talking about 
King really taking the uh, topography in Maine and, and using it because that's where my mom is from. My mom is from Maine. There's there's Micmac and Passamaquoddy and uh, Maliseet up there. Yeah. But, well, can you explain what the term blood quantum means for people who don't know? Well, it's a racial caste system using the amount of, of racial purity you have to delegate whether or not you're going to get enrolled in a tribe. Mm -hmm. Basically, what it is, is a long-term a racial policy where any woman or man that marries outside of their tribe loses X amount of percentage in their offspring until yeah. that offspring doesn't even qualify as a you know a Navajo or a Mi'kmaq or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So that's that's basically it. It's a long-term erasure policy based on breeding out native people. Yeah. That's essentially what blood quantum is. Um, the idea behind it is you know less Indians, less less trees to arm. And less less land will lot. I mean, uh, you know, it's just uh, another adjunct to what ended up being a genocide. Yeah. And the weird thing about it, when you talk about it, it's 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 hard to it's hard to not relegate it to the past. But when you start really looking at it from almost decade to decade, year to year, you start seeing these policies take a different shape, and they they all basically amount to the same thing you're you're erasing native people so it's part of that overall overall plan of, of genocide of issue whatever you want to call it to get the indians off the books <laughs> there's the genocide we hear about which is just murdering people and then there's the genocide that comes from just erasing a culture yeah really and that's that's really the the sinister more sinister one in a way because this stuff was you know on the books, you got to plan it. You know, you got to put it in a budget. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something like, you know, you, you just get a bunch of maniacs and you put them in some wagons and then, hey, go kill whatever you want and that land is yours. I mean, that's like, that's the manifest destiny. But this, it, it's so much more sinister. And you start seeing things like the uh, residential school policies and all the crazy stuff that happened there. And then you see, actually, it was a, bigger problem within the Catholic and, and Catholic Church, the abuse that went on, but it was more concentrated, it seemed like, in these residential and boarding schools. And then you hear about the the sterilization projects where they're they're medically sterilizing native women. Yeah. And you you see the torture devices they were using in the residential schools and you realize it's so fucked up and it's so recent. It's not like it's not like ancient history. Yeah. It's just, you know, Native people for Americans and Canadians for the longest time were, were showing up in John Wayne movies. So that's the Native American that you knew, kind of localized in the past and and the villain. Yeah. So it, it took quite a while for 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 us to get to this point. Even with the script in and of itself was like 13 years old, 14 years old, whenever we came up with it. It took it that long to get to the screen because it took the culture catching up and yeah. it took some some pretty extreme wax to the head too it took like trump whacking the culture to the head and then yeah. it took the virus and now we're in this position where you see the the beats in the film so explicitly you can't ignore what's being said and it says uh, anti-colonial a message as it is an anti-capital one yeah now there's a wonderful twist here which is that 
if someone is of pure indigenous blood or pure indigenous blood, they're immune to this zombie, um, to turning into zombies. Yeah. It's, can you talk about the symbolism behind that? Or is that just something that's better for people to interpret on their own? Well, I mean, you can look at it as a twist or you can look at it as a reversal of the colonization story where when settlers arrived and they were carrying diseases that they had, you know, centuries to get immune to, it, it wiped out like 90% of the population in, yeah. the, in the America, South America, you know, Central America, North America, yeah. South America. I mean, like everybody just, bam, vanished. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're taking that story and for me i wanted to do it in a way that was still interesting and fun like a film a popcorn movie almost or an exploitation film <laughs> and still maintain those those ideas almost in a way where i was uh i was listening to somebody talk about blood quantum and they were likening it to to dawn of the dead and they were saying the great thing about dawn of the dead is that you're watching it and you don't even know you don't you don't even really know about the social commentary because when I fought, first saw Donna the right. I was like a teenager so I wasn't reading it for uh, a critique on consumerism I was just you know watching it for bikers and zombies <laughs> that film that I wanted to make where the story was there but it was so baked into the script that it didn't dominate it didn't dominate the conversation or didn't dominate the themes in the film and it's it's quite a fine line to walk because Native people have a politicized image regardless of, of what they do on screen. Right. You see a Native person on screen, it's like, oh, wow, look, an Indian. I wonder if he's going to, like, you know, talk to some sparrows or <laughs> do some magic or whatever the fuck people think <laughs> about Native people on screen. So you're, you're contending with that, too. So it's hard to play Native people as just being people. And that's kind of what I was trying to do. Yeah. And and let the politics just exist within the screenplay, within the relationships between Charlie and the brother and the dad, and not really have any, you know, real hitting the nail on the head speeches. I think the closest I came to that was Lysol having his meltdown in the, uh, you know, the latter half of the second act, where he's, you know, talking about all the refugees being dangerous. And that's really kind of you know true it wasn't it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't doing it in in a way that was like oh they came here and stole our land it was like no they could be infected and kill us all it wasn't a historical it wasn't a historical fear it was like the fear of the here and now and again you're talking about using this idea of, of colonialism morphing into capital capitalism yeah, as a foundation to not only criticize the, the history of, of native people and, and non-natives, but the present. So it's it's a fucking dense zombie film. <laughs> stuff that goes on in there. It's it's not like uh, it's not like Evil Dead where it's just a romp. Evil yeah. Dead is fun, but Evil Dead isn't about like anything in particular <laughs> other than you know it just being a crazy film. And we wanted a little bit of that too. But again, we were we were leaning a little bit more towards the politicized trilogy of, of Romero than we were like the craziness of of Evil Dead. But if you if you look at the if you look at Trailer's shirt and you look at Ash's shirt, they're actually wearing the same thing. No way. Yeah. Bring it up. <laughs> That's but, awesome. uh, 
<laughs> there was actually a really uh, a much more blatant homage to Evil Dead where uh, Bumper makes his axe. <laughs> it's going to be an homage for where Ash made his uh, chainsaw. So, I mean, there was, there was, there's, there's some definite homages to classic zombie films. But yeah, like I said, we were leading a little bit more to the politics of Romero. You know, one thing I love that you did is there's no, there's really no exposition in the movie, and I don't like exposition. I mean, I was watching, Either. yeah, I, I was watching a movie the other day, and I turned it off in three minutes because they explained who everybody was and what their relationship was to each other, and I was just like, this is not my movie. And you, you really just have to keep up, and it's cool. It's better. It just kind of immerses you in the characters and what they what they care about, and it just just come along on a crazy ride and. Yeah, I mean that's always been my philosophy to just drop people into the into the world and not really give them any kind of explanation to what you're seeing. I did this in my previous film too. Yeah. It kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes, like people who like having their hands held in films, <laughs> and that's a lot of people. That's like a lot of people do not like to be put off or or like be left in the in the lurch about you know about what you're what you're seeing or. Or what you're, uh, you know, what you're experiencing. Yeah. To me, the best example of this kind of film in the past few years has been Mad Max. Oh yeah, you just get dropped into the middle of the fucking world. They're using terms you've never heard before, like, uh, uh, well, never heard applied in a science fiction like uh, uh, Furiosa's uh, designation. What was it? Imperior, 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 or whatever. Imperator. Whatever yeah, I'm not gonna get it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then there's like the fetishistic, you know, wheels, uh, steering wheels that everybody had. Like, you didn't really have any explanation. You just get dropped into the world. And it's the same thing, too, with the opening of Blood Quantum. You get dropped into the world. You get an explanation alluded to with that animation beat. Yeah. But never really, like, where does the green mist or the green pollution come from? If it causes the zombie outbreak, then, you know... What are the connections? And that's really classic zombie lore too, right? You never really yeah. get an explanation as to where the zombie plague started. It's almost like a cosmic horror, the fear of the unknown. And you don't know if there's going to be any, any, any end to it. And I think one of the interesting things that we didn't really get a chance to explore in, in, in uh, blood quantum is if people are immune, then they're, is a cure <laughs> right so it's right. like uh i guess for the for the sequel that'll probably end up in like a, a graphic novel or something <laughs> i i have so many questions but the thing you just said made me think of something i thought about i was trying to figure out kind of the the mythology and the rules and i decided for me probably there's something in the european genetics that make europeans and i'm saying europeans to mean like people descended from europeans too um that make them susceptible to zombieism. So I was wondering, like, do African Americans have, or would black people <laughs> um, be immune? Would Asian people be immune? Do you have you thought about that part? Well, the way we the way we explored it, it's kind of funny because it came up a little bit in the uh, in the news during the uh, initial outbreak of the COVID nineteen virus. Yeah, there was like people were talking about how Native Americans were. Had, I don't know. I, I forget the exact storyline, but 
the bottom line is the Native Americans have really rare blood types. And there was a draft way, way, way before where we actually explored it and explained it. And it was just like you're adding all this information <laughs> that doesn't really do anything for the story. Yeah. So it was just, we were, we were traveling down that road. <laughs> I even went as far <laughs> as to talk to a geneticist about it too. Talking about like the, the verity of native blood types. And I mean, part of that is because, you know, there was millions of us and then we just got to dwindle down to nothing. So yeah. I think there was a lot of explanations that we could have pursued, but at the end of the day, it was just, you know, those are conversations that I think viewers could have outside the, the reality of, of the movie. You know what I mean? It's not something, it's not something I don't think people could have had on screen conversations yeah. should, should have been had on screen. I mean, I think people like there was audiences, bodies, members wanted me to have those conversations on screen, but it was just like, you know, I don't think people dealing with this for months on end would still really be talking about it. It would have been like something they talked about that first month and then made concessions. Like, you know, we're going to sit here and try to survive. We can't do this, this, white girl up because she's pregnant with my son so i mean i think that's the concession they made way down the road and i yeah. think it doesn't really go it doesn't really go spoken on screen but you get the impression that they're putting up with everybody else because they're putting up with her and that's really the conflict there yeah yeah i mean i think if you had spelled it off on out on screen i would have been like that's too much exposition. I would only ask this because I, I get, you know, I have the honor of talking to the filmmaker. So I figured <laughs> I, I would ask that, but no, I totally, I totally understand not putting it on screen. You know, you got me thinking, and that's, I guess that's what you're always going for with the film is to have the audience walk out and think about it for days later and try to ponder like what that world is like and want more of that world. I mean, it does sound like you could do a sequel. You said graphic novel, but have you thought about just making another movie? Oh yeah, for sure. Like uh, I had written so, like the script that we ended up shooting was about, you know, half the size or at least three quarters of the size of what we end I ended up initially writing. So there was so much more story there. Wow. But I think you know you had to kind of pick and choose because you know you don't have you don't have two hundred million dollars to do this movie. So you have a finite. You've got to pick your shots. Yeah. So I mean, there was definitely definitely things there that would have helped the pacing of the story but you know we were just hitting our high notes <laughs> so there is definitely story in between that six months in between the first and second act that six months that goes by and the story continues after what you see like from what i've written anyway the story continues from what you see on screen it doesn't end with the girl it doesn't end with the mom on the, on the river with the little girl yeah you know, one of the coolest things you did is that six-month break because I always like movies that continue over just one night or a couple or kind of a continuous period. And you get to have that and tell that story really well. And then you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too by checking in with these people months later. It was a really good surprise um, to have that pop up. So I don't know. I just appreciated the way you structured that. And it does seem like, I guess it could have been two entire movies. Well, it's classic. That's uh, almost classic Romero stuff I mean he does yeah. that and uh, does that it takes place over the course of 24 hours in Night of the Living Dead 
Mm. And it takes place over the course of like nine, well, not nine months, but about seven, eight months in Dawn of the Dead, where there is a big time jump in that movie. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were doing. I mean, the pregnant woman in a in the zombie film, that's almost a trope. I mean, it's not <laughs> even almost, it is a trope. So, I mean, we were, we were, we we went into it like fuck. We're not gonna reinvent the wheel. Let's let's like let's just keep it to really great gags. Let's keep it to the the main story, and let the ideas do the work for us. Like we designed a lot of stuff that we knew were politicized images to integrate well into uh, the the zombie world, like blockades here. Native people on blockades here is a really, really loaded image. So yeah. to have that littered throughout the film, I mean, it was saying more than what you were, what, what, what was just being said on screen. It was like kind of what you said, we were having our cake and eating it too because we were able to do these cool zombie kills that were alluding to a much bigger picture. Yeah, it was, it was like, uh, it was... Is what we were going for, but I didn't know if the references were too obscure. And I don't even know if they still are, but I think, you know, doing interviews like this helped where you talk about it. Like, there's, there's, there's a bigger picture that we're alluding to. It's not just zombies walking into a snowblower. It is that, too, <laughs> but uh, there's a layer to it. Well, I'll tell you, in, in the U.S., I feel like there's... I, I don't want to say, again, I'm not any kind of expert at all. I think I have more of an interest in history than the average person just from being a history major and like reading about Alcatraz, the, the Native American takeover yeah. of Alcatraz, Wounded Knee. We have another podcast called Shoot This Now where we talk about stories throughout history that should be made in the movies. We did one on Alcatraz. We did one um, on the Sashin Littlefeather situation at the Oscars, actually, where she was trying to draw attention to Wounded Knee. Um, because I think there are just amazing stories that should have been made into movies a long, long time ago and weren't. Um, but that said, you know, I don't know the significance of blockades in Canada. Well, I mean, there was the uh, the the North Dakota pipeline protests too. Oh, for There's sure. a lot of that okay. imagery that's that's you know pretty pretty loaded, and it's it's you see a lot of it in the in the film too. I mean, it's really it's it's really just being native and yeah. I think the culture in and of itself I mean the, the the culture western culture the US culture government whatever you want to call it I think that for whatever reason really has a, a, a violent history that yeah. isn't localized to you know 400 250 years ago I mean it's ongoing and that's what we're trying to tell people and the weird thing is, I think it's a much bigger picture, too. It's not just ongoing within our culture. I think it started there, but now I think it's spreading. And I forget who it was that pointed out, but Americans are being asked to go back to work and, and potentially risk their lives to make somebody else a dollar. Yeah. And that's exactly the... the uh, the, the, the basis of colonization. You you took somebody's lives, displaced them, or murdered them for the sake of, of resources and money. I mean, that's that's been the story here for 500 years. Yeah. It's not been something that just materialized. The weird thing is, too, it's a, it's inextricably linked with viruses. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's 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 inextricably linked with 
viruses and religion. And that's exactly what we tried to do in the film. I mean, really, wow. it's, it's, you can talk about it all day because it's like once you start digging into it, you start, you start really beginning to see the, 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 the feelers, like the, the tendrils that go out just everywhere. And, and it's not just, and it all stems from the, the history of, of Native people, colonialism, capitalism, and what's going on now. And how it feels like just one giant circle, like humanity's learning curve is just two halves that make a circle. So we just keep going around and around. Mm. It is it is kind of a perfect movie in that way in that you can just watch it as a really fun zombie movie. You know, you could be 12 years old and watch this movie and go, that was cool. Um, but you can also really read as much into it as you want to. And, you know, I I definitely miss some symbolism. The blockades, when you bring up, when you bring up the pipeline, you know, of course that, of course I recognize that now, but I'm sure it's loaded with imagery that I would never catch. Um, it doesn't take away from the movie at all, but it adds to the richness of the movie if you understand it. I think any filmmaker, what you're going for is repeat viewings. And yeah. there's two ways you can do it, right? You can put eye candy up there, or you can, you can put layers in your film where, you know, it's like you can watch RoboCop and really appreciate him, you know, shooting everybody up. And then when you hear Virov and talk about it being a retelling of the Christ story, when you see Robocop <laughs> walking on water, <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, I see it now. And it's like you, you get to appreciate it on a whole new level. And that's kind of what we were going for. What are your favorite movies? Because like, pretty much everything you've mentioned is something that I really, really like. <laughs> I, I really, I have, you know, I have really weird tastes in films because like, uh, I've been formally educated in cinema so like I, I I know all that like I like I I can give you like the intellectual hit list of, of all the movies you're supposed to like like Citizen Kane and like Wild Strawberries and stuff like that yeah. <laughs> and I do like those movies but I also really like movies like uh, like Roadhouse oh my God Conan hey. the Barbarian and <laughs> Dracula and like really schlocky stuff and evil dead evil dead would be one of my favorite films so would Eraserhead, oh, like yeah. really irreverent offbeat films and not because they're irreverent or offbeat because that's just the stuff i gravitate towards <laughs> like another film that i really really like uh the korean film old boy i don't remember that one from mm -hmm. a few years ago that, that's that's one of my all-time favorite films yojimbo is another one kurosawa is yojimbo uh, we actually watched, uh, I watched a lot of uh, Bone Wolf and Cub. Oh, Two. really? Yeah. Wow. I forget why I went down a rabbit hole with those a little while ago, but yeah, I sure did. There was something. Maybe Shogun Assassin because it's, I it's think, you know, yeah. that's what it is, right? Yeah. You watch yeah. Shogun Assassin and it's like, oh well, yeah, this is Bone Wolf and Cub. It started on YouTube for me. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually watched that too because we were, uh, we're listening to a lot of well, I was listening to a lot of synth stuff because I we were doing the soundtrack too. I was doing the soundtrack too. Yeah. So you're listening to like a lot of really ladies, late eighties synth stuff for, for horror. And that was one of the things we were looking at. You know, I think it started with um Wu Tang Clan actually. I think it was that Jizza song with uh the first song on Liquid yeah. Swords. Yeah, I think that's what got me started yeah. down that road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um the, Little the little boy doing the voiceover. My father was the Shogun's assassin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, so good, yeah. man. Um, 
What are you working on next? I'm doing a cosmic horror thing now, and I think there's people seriously interested in doing a sequel or a spin-off show of this. Yeah. And uh, I've written a TV show that, that has really, it has horror beats, but not really a horror. It's kind of like, a, I don't know if you've seen my first film, Ryan on Ghouls, which is, it was like a kind of a rural fantasy that had horror beats, but was all grounded in reality. So I wrote a TV show like that and that's getting shopped around. So I have stuff on the go. It's just who the fuck knows where everything's going <laughs> to land now because of the virus. Because if you're on set, there's yeah. no way you can keep social distance. No way. Like everybody eats from the same truck. As a matter of fact, when yeah. we were doing blood quantum, it was like a, like a, a like a, a violent stomach flu bug that went through the, everybody in oh, all the shoots in Montreal. And there was guys like it, they, they shut down, they shut down shoots for like two days, I think two, three days to get everybody back on their feet. And to give you an idea of like how easy the, like a, a flu or, or a virus can, can go to a shoot. Like half everybody got wiped out, man. Oh, and man. I can only imagine it being worse when you're, when you're on set because like you're, you're on top of everybody. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to move forward because people are talking about like vaccines like they're going to happen in six months. Like no fucking way. When's yeah. the last time you've heard of a vaccine for anything? Yeah. Like HPV? And that's been around for like 20, 30 years. <laughs> so and people won't take it. Yeah. To, you, might, you might have to get used to the idea of this being our reality now. So yeah. like for me, nothing encompasses that better than cosmic horror. It's it's ineffable. The, yeah. the the horror is is undescribable, and it's it's existential. So I think that's the kind of mindset people are going to be in moving forward, because everything is is so uncertain. You know, you incorporated animation into this film so well. Have you thought about going the animated route? Because you know you don't have to have actors together necessarily. Well, that's it. That's that's another thing too, because I've been flirting with that forever, and the guys that did that animation have been wanting to move forward with a bigger project. And the thing about animation, man, that is, that is, a, you know, as crazy as filmmaking is animation is a completely different animal and a completely yeah. different set of, of neuroses and <laughs> obsessions. <laughs> so I, I think, I think eventually I probably will. And it's, it's just going to have to be the right project. But it's it's right. You're right. I mean, that is something you could plausibly fuck. That's true, man. I wonder if we're going to start seeing that now. If it's going to be like everything's going to be like Avatar. Uh, the the uh, TV show Blacklist just did their finale animated, which I thought was pretty smart. And I was watching uh, on Netflix. It's called The Midnight Gospel, which is kind of like a podcast that they just put really cool animation on top of. And I don't know. I'd I'd watch it. Well, I mean, some of the best things I've seen lately, like BoJack Horseman and, and uh, you know, Castlevania, I mean, they're all animated. Yeah. And the thing about it is, like, the range. I mean, there's no real, there's no real ceiling for animation at all. Yeah. It's just extremely time-consuming. And, and, you know, it's, it's, like I said, animators are, are a different kind of animal. <laughs> Well, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, I know we were supposed to talk for half an hour, and I not only called you at the wrong time, I went way over half an hour. 
So <laughs> I guess that's just how much I like your movie. It's always like this, man. Every time, uh, every time <laughs> we get into it, every time we start talking about the movie, it's like you start you start unpacking a lot of stuff, and then you start talking about other films. I don't mind. I mean, it's it's like it's what I'm here for, and I I think it really helps. I think it really helps people appreciate the film more. Yeah. And I don't think you know. I don't think it necessarily needs to be appreciated on a cerebral level because there's a lot of fun zombie stuff in there too. But I think <laughs> at the same time, it's both. horror films get a, almost a bad reputation for being just that. Whereas I don't think that's the case at all. I think horror films are have, have always been really symbiotic and, and, and cerebral. So yeah. I, I think it's, it's a good thing that we're discussing it and I, I think it's a good thing for for people to really pursue the ideas behind the film. 